Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Welcome back to Saturday mornings here on Money FM. And I think this is probably the most important thing that we can say today. Steve Oaken, happy birthday. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Glenn. You know, and, and thanks for coming by yesterday and, and dropping off that bottle of champagne. Really appreciate it. And, you know, and, and today, Neil, I've been dropping hints to you for, for months now about how much I want a, a Rupert Pupkin show T-shirt. So I'm sure you're going to bring that by today. So I'm going to wait all day for you to I've come I've got over. it signed by Robert De Niro. It's on the way. It's coming. Beautiful. Welcome, uh, Steve. And, and welcome to Dr. Ong Kian Ming, a member of parliament in Malaysia for Bangi and the former deputy minister for international trade and industry. Great to have you back on the show. Good morning, guys. Glenn, did you did you fill that champagne with like tiger beer or something? <laughs> he filled yeah, it with I, the water from the cooler outside. My, my <laughs> wife Kat and I drank the bottle before we went over to Steve's house, and we just filled it up. We figured he'd never know the difference, but uh, anyway, thanks for ratting me out there. <laughs> anyway, um, lots going on in the news today. Let's start with Malaysia, um, uh, Doctor Ong. Where are we today? We know the numbers were big again yesterday. Uh, how's it going there with the with the current lockdown in in Malaysia? Yeah, uh, I think things will probably get worse before they get better. But I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, we reached fifteen thousand cases yesterday, but only about two or three percent of that was uh, really serious cases, uh, category three, four, five. Mm-hmm. And then next week, uh, in the Klang Valley, where you know it's half the country's economy, we're going to roll out something called Operation Search Capacity. And I've been named as the coordinator for the Selangor portion of this by the by, by the Menteri Besar, the, the governor, as well as the, the mm. federal minister in charge of this, Kyrie. And what so is that? What's that going to be? So, so by the end of next week, we'll have more than 90% of uh, people, all adults in the Klang Valley, this is Selangor and KL, uh, vaccinated with at least one shot. Wow. And we'll have about 40% with uh, fully vaccinated. So once we get that, to that target, I think we should be able to see the numbers come down significantly in the month of August. Well, so on that point, Dr. Ong, I'm just looking at the figures here. 144 coronavirus-related deaths uh, yesterday. I mean, what is the general Mm. mood in Malaysia? Because the vaccinations are improving, is it it improving with the increase in vaccinations? I think people are still uh, sort of like a bit confused uh, because they see that the vaccination rate is going up, but the number of deaths as well as the cases are also going up. So there probably needs to be better communication in terms of the, the kind of timeline we're talking about. Uh, and as vaccinations increase, uh, the, the numbers of cases, especially serious cases, will come down. But there's always a lag, you know, between when the vi- uh, vaccines kick in and when, you know, the, the, the serious cases actually drop. And can I follow up with a question to both of you on that? Maybe start with Steve on this one. You know, not I was on a cruise, first world problems, earlier in the week. But uh, the, the general consensus amongst both the crew and the guests was at some point, I think we've touched on this before, Steve, we are going to adjust our perspectives when it comes to case numbers and slowly start to learn to live with COVID now that vaccinations are rising. What are your thoughts on that, Steve? And then Dr. Ong. Well, there's a really interesting cultural difference between, like, and I'll certainly talk about the U.S. and I think the U.K. as well, and, and a country like Singapore, where the U.S. and U.K. is focused on individual liberties and, and there's individual responsibility. And when you get everybody the opportunity to get vaccinated, if they choose not to get vaccinated, then they live with those consequences. And in the Singapore approach, from what you read in the, you know, from what the ministers are saying, it's it's a much different approach. It's it's a collective 
uh, approach to society. And if there are people who aren't vaccinated for whatever reason, we still need to protect them. We still need to protect the unvaccinated because they can die if, 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 if we don't have these protections in place. And so I don't know that you're ever going to have the approach that you have in, in the U.S., the U.K., which is if you don't get vaccinated, you live with the consequences. Mm. We've got to find some bridge, I think, between the middle. Usually that, that middle ground is, is the place to be. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there either country. And just to add to that, Dr. Yeah. Ong, we had a comment from one of our listener viewers, Mike Ung, who says, in, using Singapore as a perspective, we do have to start learning to live with COVID, says Mike, and we're not ever going to reach a stage where it's zero cases every day. So do we have to shift perspectives in the region, uh, in the region Dr. Ong? Yeah, I agree with uh, you know your view and Steve's view that we should learn to live with COVID. And I think the advantage that Malaysia has, ironically, is because we've so been so used to the high number of cases. Even if let's say we discover the you know a KTV cluster with fifty to hundred people, I think life will go on. Uh, you know, we won't shut down restaurants and disallow dine-ins. But we have to get to the stage where the number of cases come down first uh, under more controllable circumstances. And then, you know, I've had assurances for the Minister of Finance that once we uh, gradually liberalised, we won't actually turn back and suddenly clamp down on, on some of these uh, economic activities. Yeah, we're certainly all hoping for that day. And, and in the meantime, we, you know, we do, we are mindful that there are still a lot of people out there suffering, a lot of people trying to find hospital beds uh, and, and deaths occurring, especially you look at Malaysia and Indonesia, where the numbers yeah. are just mm -hmm. absolutely tragic. So while we're relatively safe uh, here in Singapore, uh, we do know that just not too far away, there are a lot of uh, people who have friends and family, loved ones who are who are in the middle of this right now and trying to find a way out. And uh, let's hope that way comes um, uh, just as soon as uh, as humanly possible. Uh, I, I do want to move on, though, because I think this the story that was in the Straits Times about um, Malaysian police destroying the Bitcoin mining machines with a steamroller. Uh, talk to us, Dr. Ong, about this. How much of an issue have these illegal machines been? It seems like kind of an odd time to be focusing on this <laughs> uh well the incident occurred in a place called miri sarawak uh -huh. and uh, i think many people may not know that in sarawak the electricity prices are relatively cheap okay one of the cheapest in the region because we have something called the bakun dam and uh, yeah. many other smaller dams hydropower uh, so yes exactly yeah and uh, of course that that particular straight times report didn't report on the nationality of the individuals in question oh uh, but you know one could speculate uh, that they may come from uh, you know not not domestic but maybe international uh, you know certain international destination that's interesting uh, and uh, yeah these kinds of activities uh, have been replicated in other parts of malaysia whereby uh, you know, there have not just been Bitcoin op operations started, but uh, sort of like these are scam operations. You know, you, you'll have people dialing in and not necessarily within Malaysia, dialing back to uh, home country, so to speak. You know, and this is uh, part and parcel, I think, of how uh, FDI inflows and outflows will also coincide with these kinds of other interesting activities. I'm curious why you're speculating on the nationality and not say, is it because you generally don't know or it's not being confirmed or I'm just curious. No, because it, it wasn't, it wasn't reported in the newspaper. Ah. So I don't want to, I do I don't want to sort of like, uh, you know, jump to the conclusions, but from other reports that I've seen, including in my own area, you know, these kinds of activities are quite prevalent. Trying to track them down, of course, is another, another story. But I think uh, the, the, the electricity authorities can detect when there's a surge in terms of demand. So it's not so easy for, for them to do Bitcoin mining in, in this part uh, in peninsular Malaysia compared to let's say in Sarawak. Mm. And I was just going to bring up that uh, that electricity point, you know, Dr. Ong. This ties into the 
real existential threat we face is is a planet, which, of course, is is climate change. I mean, Bitcoin takes up an incredible amount of electricity. And and the people Dr. Ong mentioned, they got uh, arrested because they stole electricity. They stole two million dollars worth of electricity. And this is very subsidized electricity um, that is needed for these for these bit to mine these Bitcoin transactions. And I read that one Bitcoin transaction it takes the equivalent of 53 days of power for one U.S. household. That's, wow. that's how energy intensive this is. And so this is and the energy. It's not only hydro. It's obviously a lot of it's coming from coal, which is contributing to climate change. And that is another reason why you're seeing this clamp down on Bitcoin. It's the criminal element of it that that that, that Dr. Ong talked about. But it's also the environmental aspect of it. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's obscene. Isn't it's, it? I mean, it's actually immoral. When we talk about the Chinese <laughs> floods, of course, and their potential connection to climate change, that's just an obscene use of power, isn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely. And let's talk about that right now. You know, we've all been watching what's been going on in Henan Province, uh, in uh, Zhengzhou, and uh, just uh, amazing, uh, terrifying pictures. At least 33 people have died. It's, that number is probably up now that was a number from yesterday uh and cars being washed away and houses being washed away they're saying up to 190 million dollars worth of damage already uh steve this plays right into you know the the extreme weather events uh related to climate change that uh, most climate scientists are are calling this Mm. uh an event that could have been prohibited or prevented uh, had we been doing better with our climate change I read, you know, read in the, in the report, you know, someone said, well, this is a once in a 5,000 year flood. We couldn't have predicted this. And then somebody else said, we've only been keeping records since 1951. How do we know this only happened once every 5,000 years? Good point. And, and so it's, yeah, it's going to happen more and more and more because the climate is changing. And, and, you know, that's one of the big things businesses focus on when it comes to sustainability is, is climate risk. You know, when you're going to invest in a business, you've got to be thinking, you know, what's going to happen in terms of drought, in terms of flooding, in terms of wildfire. And then what are all of those things going to lead to? If you build somewhere, there's going to be a drought. Not only are you not going to have water for your operations, you could start having food riots, right? If, if, if the people who live in those areas can't get food, it's a huge issue. And you can't say, well, this only happens once every 5,000 years or once every 1,000 years. We're just, you know, don't worry about it. People have to change. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just China, right? It's not just China. We we read about and I saw the the, the images coming from Germany, the, the right. massive floods there as well. So it's a global phenomenon that we need to address together. Well, and Malaysia's had its own challenges with with extreme flooding over the years, and, and I mean, if some of that is because of the infrastructure, but uh, you know, like Singapore, we are as nations with uh, large amounts of uh, area. On the seaside, we all have and to be. Singapore's a low-lying island. Yeah, you know, we all have relatively. to be uh, concerned. How, how concerned are, are the politicians in Malaysia? Is there a movement in Malaysia, Doctor Ong, that's that's addressing this? Uh, personally, I'm very concerned. Every time there's heavy rain, I know. So I get somebody to send me the weather report every morning. Yeah. Every time there's heavy rain, I ask my guys to be on standby. I actually procured two kayaks. Kayaks. <laughs> <laughs> so that I can, I can in, in, in times of emergency, I can bring them into the flooded areas and bring children and women out on these kayaks. And I've done it before. Oh I, I can show some pictures uh, to, to Steve. And I've been in some of the rivers that have been affected by these floods. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's something that all of us need to be worried about. But that's the broader point, isn't it, Dr. Ong? I'm looking at the figures here. So far, the torrential rains have caused around 200 
million worth of economic damage. I'm sure the figure is much higher now. Steve and I and Glenn have talked about this on previous shows. If there is a benefit, and I put that word in inverted commas, we must be reaching a tipping point now where any potential money saved by, you know, coal technologies or old fuel technologies must have been overtaken by the money saved from disasters like this. We're reaching a real economic tipping point now, don't you think, Dr. Ong? Yeah, and uh, I think the challenge is actually to convince the politicians that there's a direct linkage between what's happening in the weather uh, with uh, what's happening in their constituencies. Uh, often, very, more often than not, they don't see that linkage, and that's why uh, many of them, uh, many of politicians, including myself, maybe don't really take that so seriously. Mm. All right, gents, uh, we are coming down to the the last uh, few minutes of our segment here, and so let's go to. Um, a funny story, but a weird story, but a poignant story, and that is we go to Indonesia where a, a COVID-positive man got on a flight disguised as his wife. Steve, what do we know about this story? Well, I, mean, I think the, the thing that fascinated me most about this story is so guy dresses up as his wife because he's, he's COVID-positive. He's desperate to fly, um, so he, he, on a domestic he gets flight. dressed up yep. on a domestic flight in Indonesia. They then, halfway through the flight... This this you know criminal genius changes <laughs> his wife's clothing into his own. Stewardess goes, oh, that's kind of funny. So then they land, they 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 test him. He tests COVID positive, shockingly. And what do the Indian Indonesian authorities do? They send him home for self isolation. <laughs> this guy is the definition of a flight risk. How can you send him home? So I think people are so desperate to, 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 to travel that they are doing illegal things. And, you know, mm. I, it's just a sign of the times. Well, I dressed as my so wife. Steve, would you, do it? would you do it, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> would any of you well, guys do it? Change, you know, cross-dress just to get, get somewhere and disguise as your wife. Dr. Ong, I'm, I am so desperate to get off the island, I would dress up as Neil exactly. and disguise myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's what his birthday present is, my clothes. <laughs> but Dr. Ong, tell me. a lot me. of makeup. That's yeah, a, lot yeah, of makeup. But, a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, Dr. Ong, this couldn't happen in Malaysia. Uh, I cannot say it wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, people, when people are desperate enough, they would do desperate things. So, yeah, let's try to get the COVID situation under control so that we can travel without having to assume identities of others, whether it's uh, Neil or somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, uh, I, I don't even know where to go with that story. It's just, but you know, the initial story, the initial part of this was was crazy enough. Like you said, Steve, he was he was caught by a by a, a flight attendant who saw him come out of the women's bathroom, go in as, you know, dressed in niqab, <laughs> right. and come out of the women's bathroom in men's clothing, right? So, I mean, this guy is but, clearly I mean, not stage a stage one of the, 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 the ruse, he's James Bond. Stage right. two, he turns into <laughs> Mr. Bean. <laughs> 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 right. The brain exactly. just leaves the building, you know. And, <laughs> and, and stage three, the government officials become a Monty Python sketch <laughs> by sending him back on the plane, right? So... Oh, uh, goodness gracious. No, Joe, but we didn't find yeah. out. We didn't find out what he went 
for what he was traveling for. What was what made him so desperate that he had to dress up as his wife to go to another yes. place? You know, <laughs> might have been durian. One can only speculate. Could have been durian. Off to KTV in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Hey, gentlemen, we have to leave it there. But thank you so much. As always, uh, we really appreciate your time, Dr. Ong Kiang Ming, Member of Parliament in Malaysia for Bangi and a former Deputy Minister for International Trade and Industry. And birthday boy, Steve Oaken. Happy birthday, Steve. We hope you have a great day. Happy birthday, Steve. And, and next birthday. week, I'm going to wear that, or two weeks, I'm going to wear that Rupert Pit, a pumpkin shirt, Neil. I'm waiting. I'm on it. I'm on it. And we know, uh, <laughs> Steve, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be taking off and, and traveling back to the U.S., so we'll be getting some reports from you as you are overseas on what's happening there as well in, uh, in coming weeks, so safe travels to you. Is that right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah please, please get the ambassadorial yeah. appointments to Singapore done as soon as yeah. possible. And just, Steve, remember, <laughs> when you go, make sure you wear one of your wife's dresses that fits. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. I'll, I'll, fit me off. I'll fit right in in Southern California. Yeah, 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 indeed, indeed. <laughs> Thanks so much to both of you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.